welcome back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia talk about movies. Uh, before we dive into uh, this week's movie, want to see how everyone is doing. Great. Everyone's doing well. We've got... Went um, to the new Trader Joe's today on uh, Arch Street. Congratulations. It's bigger, which is nice. Where on Arch? It is right next to that Methodist church, basically like a block from City Hall. Oh, Oh. Like a block on the other side of the street down from PAFA. Academy of Fine Arts. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. So got some groceries. Great. Nice. Well and done. And they have they sell a product that is everything but the bagel, but it's a salmon. So it's I'm, a, and everything confused. but bagel. I'm and everything confused. but bagel salmon. Like you know, like locks. Uh-huh. Well so it's, so it's salmon, locks. <laughs> so you get the salmon but no bagel with all the everything seasoning already on it. Oh, like, oh okay. Oh, I was like, like where does the bagel part yeah. come in with just buying locks? You you BYOB. <laughs> Got it. To the salmon that you purchase. Got it. Oh, God. I miss bagels. Mm. Hmm. Um, I am ill, so if you can't stand the sound of my voice, well, you can't do anything about it, but sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sam is ill as in sick, which uh, still is uh, syn- synonymous with awesome. Totally rad so, and yeah, awesome. Philadelphia. <laughs> what up? Welcome to ill with that. Oh. <laughs> We uh, this edition is uh, butter with some. Tori mm-hmm. is not here in body, but here in spirit. Um, we uh, I'm gonna open up and see if folks have seen some good movies recently, can or I sh- or or shows. Can I share a book related th- accomplishment? Yeah. Accomplishment. Sure. I have one chapter left in A Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones wow, book series. Wow, dude! The epilogue the of A Dance with Dragons, book five, the last published one. Okay. I started this project, uh, and it is a project, January 27th, and by tonight I will be done. Congratulations. And now my watch has ended. Or has it begun waiting for Winds of Winter Mm -hmm. and A Dream of Spring? Two more books left, George. Okay, so now that you have read almost every word Mm -hmm. of Game of Thrones, and you have also seen every episode, do you hate the show? I've come to terms with the show. I've done my mourning, my grieving months and months ago. So this just excites me for the future of what George is going to write. And in some ways, I'm more grateful for the show than ever because they fucked it up so badly and left so much stuff out that they really didn't spoil anything. Oh, that's great. Um, Big picture, how it ends for the principal cast. Yeah, that's probably like the status quo of the show will probably be the status quo at the end of the books, but it's going to be done totally differently and hopefully better. So this the show gives me a further appreciation now for what the books still have left to offer. Hmm. I mean, basically, the only thing that the show spoiled was that spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. Is that cool, guys? Yes. That Jon Snow is not at all a bastard, not even a Targaryen bastard, but that he, him and Lyanna, that his father and Lyanna Stark were married. That's really the only new information that the show gave that George hasn't officially given us yet, which is like a, not a huge, it could be a huge detail, but that's basically all that the show spoiled for the books because things are so different. Are they going to do any offshoot shows? Well, news about that. News. Um, they Can we have that one more time? <laughs> News. That's not the same. Sorry. Uh, they canceled the Naomi, Naomi Watts uh, Game of Thrones prequel show. That was um, the the production name was Blood Moon. Got axed today by HBO. 
Why? So there were, I think, George, this is maybe last year, there were six or seven, maybe even ten pitches that directors and creatives were making to HBO. Like, there was basically an all-call for prequel ideas. Uh, Blood Moon, the one that they eventually put Naomi Watts to lead, was the only one that got a pilot filmed. So they filmed a rough pilot, and then it was supposed to go into production early mid i think early to mid 2020 and they built sets in belfast like they used all the same production stuff but hbo just canceled it today uh, before going to full principal photography there is though a fire and blood prequel series um fire and blood was the targaryen history book that george released last year which was actually the first game of thrones book i read well sort of um i read some novellas before but that targaryen prequel like of the kings the dragon kings and queens of westeros that is probably still going through but that was unrelated to this original like seven pitches from a year ago wow that's intense news hot off the press yeah dang so hbo might i don't know maybe watchmen maybe they want to see how watchmen would do apparently it's i haven't watched the first two episodes yet but apparently the new show is really good my yeah. housemate's watching it he loves it yeah so wow. so like it's uh it's coming along or well yeah anyway at any rate he's impressed so far this is more what i should All say right. so maybe they were waiting to see how that goes because hbo max their new streaming service which i don't really know that much about um is launching this next early next year i think or maybe even this year so i bet they were waiting on watchmen to be like do we need game of thrones money in 2021 or can that wait until further down the line also the his dark material yeah. series is True. tapping into that like big budget fantasy mm-hmm. interesting yeah i feel like that could also fill a game of thrones niche i just they they cast the whole thing and got some pretty big stars on it so it's just interesting that they yeah. 86 it today literally today yeah. as as a recording hmm. news out um i already signed up for disney plus I'm so excited. So if anyone wants to see what's going to be available on Disney Plus, you can just go to their Twitter and it is literally everything. I'm just going to be like reliving my childhood. Brink is going to be on there. I, I can't yes! believe it. I can't believe it. Team uh, Pup and Suds. Hell yeah. So Excuse me? That's exciting. <laughs> You're too young. You're too young to know this. Hey, it's almost my 26th birthday soon. Get out of here. I'm 32 and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Except well, Brink. I do know Brink. I do know Brink. I was like, what? Um, the Gordon Ramsay's having Nat Geo show because Nat Geo is also on yeah. Disney Plus. So. I mean, it it is really a crash course in everything that Disney owns, and you're like, well, this is slightly terrifying that Disney <laughs> has access to all of these things, and perhaps I shouldn't be giving my money, but damn, do I want that Winter Soldier show? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe we'll do some Disney Plus breakouts down the line. Yeah. Um, well, in continuation with this month's theme of family and food, uh, this week we are going to be talking about a movie that I had seen for the first time last year, and it was my favorite movie. I'd seen it in 2019, but it was my favorite movie of 2018. I believe you gave it last year, yeah. Didn't you give that the uh, Picture of the Year award? I did, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. During our Oscars episode. And that movie uh, is Shoplifters. Um, This came out in 2018. was actually the highest grossing Japanese movie of that year. Hmm. Uh, So it was wildly popular in Japan. And um, it was directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. And just to give you a quick synopsis before we dive into kind of impressions of seeing the movie because this was everyone's first time seeing it right correct yeah. yep yes 
So excited to be here hear about that. But just to give you a quick overview, uh, the movie follows a Japanese family of six who live in an impoverished suburb of Tokyo uh, and make ends meet by shoplifting, food, and other items, uh, in addition to the quite low-paying jobs that, and pensions that they, um, that they have. Uh, one night, uh, a character named... Osamu and his son Shota find a five-year-old girl, Yuri, left out in the cold and decide to bring her in for food and warmth. Uh, the family bonds with Yuri and decide that she would have a better life with them than um, her, what the audience comes to learn, abusive parents. Mm -hmm. uh, however, all of Tokyo is actually trying to find Yuri. Um, they see broadcasts of that on the news. And over the course of the movie, as the family relationships really seem to deepen, uh, especially between young Shoda and Yuri, as he teaches her the art of shoplifting, um, we begin to kind of piece together how this family got together uh, and how they're actually connected and see how bond, familial bonds sort of become begin to unravel uh, as we learn more. Mm. Um, and so... With that synopsis, I want to hear what your impressions were of the movie and what you think this movie uh, was saying about our theme, one of our themes mm. about family. Well, the film uh, as a whole, I would say, is like gracefully understated up until its third act. Uh, that sort of like fundamental unraveling, which I'm sure we'll cover um, – is so like uh, is so stark and so um, so pronounced because up until then, I mean it's you know there's there's a lot of emotionality and a lot of like humanism to it, but it's definitely very um, a good deal more understated in its rollout than uh, and subdued in its rollout than than the place that we arrive at in the end, which I thought was a really good choice. Do you think the ending was? And we'll get to. Uh what exactly this ending entails, this kind of but do you beats, think yeah. that that tonally was abrupt and too abrupt or do you think it no, had I a thought purpose it was, as yeah. far as, yeah, I thought it was used into really gracefully because I mean, the more information these characters are receiving, the more the tone escalates. Um, and that I think really complements the storytelling as far as like editing and production and, uh, and just tone in general. So it really kind of places you in, um, in the, the passenger seat with these characters in a lot of ways from their, the perspective and momentum of the story that they're experiencing. So I thought it did a great job with that. I think this is probably one of my favorite movies about like movies that are about substance, whether that is substance for literally food, like what people need to consume oh, or what did I say? Substance. substance. Sorry. <laughs> substance. <laughs> oh, precious. <laughs> okay. Um, sustenance. <laughs> sustenance um sibilance oh my <laughs> but providing so, the body yes and the emotional the state with things of substance yeah thank you christine <laughs> um because characters really want in such a fundamental way in this movie like yeah. literally stealing food um and trying to morally justify that and also trying mm -hmm. to create this like found family which i know are movies that i'm really drawn to of you know and there's a I did not think this movie would introduce so many like moral questions of like, yo, these people, spoiler alert, stole children. Yeah. Like they just straight up stole. And in the beginning of the movie, when they find this young girl, it's out of compassion. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, well, we're just going to take her. And then as the movie unravels, you're like, oh, there's probably something more sinister. But you really can't say um, that the 
father and mother quote-unquote characters are evil or bad no. mm-hmm. nor can you say that they're good and heroic they're somewhere kind of in the middle there's a lot of moral ambiguity mm-hmm. and I, you you i feel like the pacing of the movie takes you through the thought process that they would have it's a cold night uh and this character and the young boy who at the beginning of the movie i'm thinking is his son mm-hmm. it's cold they hear this five-year-old girl playing on a balcony at night and they hear you hear the parents yelling in the background and things like that and they're like we'll just t- take her home for like a meal uh give her something good to eat it looks like you know sh- she might be hungry and so that begins and then the next day they're like maybe she'd have a better life. He, you know, we could like really provide for her in the ways that maybe her family can't. And then it literally snowballs into them keeping her for about a full year. Yeah. Yeah. And it's initially kind of out of like that, the kindness of their heart in that scenario with the hopes of returning her, I guess. But then, you know, it's expressed as we touched on that she is like kind of clearly a victim of abuse and neglect um, via whatever situation she's in. So it kind of, you know, propels that decision. There at one point, one of the uh, characters said someone threw her away and I found her. I think it's, um, no boy, you mm-hmm. who plays kind of the mother. Character. Isn't that in reference? Well, is that said how, multiple times? through? I think it's re- Yeah. I think it's a line that's yeah. repeated because mm-hmm. I think they said that about grandma mm-hmm. as well. Yes, you're right. Yeah. During the interrogation, once they're caught that they, um, I mean, the scene where the grandma dies is so heartbreaking because they go to the beach. And I remember a lot of the promo for this movie and even the posters them on the beach. Yeah. So I was just kind of like waiting for like, oh, I I thought it'd be like a beach bum. Like these families live near the beach. beach (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, then the beach is like such a climactic scene. And she's basically like, oh, I'm probably going to die. And then she does. And that's really when the whole story for them starts to unravel when they bury her under the house because they want to keep claiming her pension. And I feel like for me, that's when the first cracks start to appear of like, oh, these are actually these people are in it for themselves. Um, Nobuye and um, the father's name, Osumu. Yeah, Osamu. Osamu. Um, But I would raise the question, are they in it just for themselves? I think that because you don't start thinking that until grandma dies that sort of says no or at least like you would have some serious second thoughts because you know everything leading up to that they all look loving i mean you know troubled because they're strapped for cash and you know the father figure he gets injured and you see that like they have to get money in some like not great ways yeah, you see moments where the system fails them. The the yeah. um, Osamu, who's a day laborer, uh, who goes to work, he ends up breaking his foot, and then you see him being brought home by um, one of the, like the fellow workers, and he's like, hopefully, you know, like workers' comp essentially will will pay for this, and then you find out later. He gets no workers. He gets yeah. nothing, mm-hmm. um, and so you see this family really trying to. You, basically, in moments and scenes, you see, okay, yes, they're stealing things from, like, grocery stores and shops, but also you see larger systems that are letting these p- people down. Uh-huh. It's almost like if Joker was good. <laughs> <laughs> and how these people also try to take, like, advantage of the system, such as whether once the grandma dies, they keep claiming her pension checks from her husband who passed. Did they ever say when he passed? Some long time ago, it sounds like. I don't think they cover it, as I recall. 
It seems to be quite a while ago because to kind of get listeners oriented as far as the family. So grandma mm. had a, her her husband then, from what I understood, left her and remarried and then mm-hmm. had two children that are now adults who have two daughters. Mm-hmm. And the oldest daughter is actually one of the family members living with mm-hmm. Grandma Osamu, Naboyu, Shoda, and all of them. That's Aki. Aki. Yeah. Yes. Which is a secret her, we yes, don't know until Aki. closer to the end of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so definitely questions that I still have and had during the movie as, for, as far as... Yeah, were were they just living with grand? Because it's grandma's house technically. Is that what you guys got the impression of? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. are they living her with her just to get her house, just to get her pension, or is there like a deeper fundamental bond that brings these two people together through lonely? Like grandma certainly didn't seem like she had really anyone else. Yeah, and the community thinks that she's living alone. Yeah, and she wants to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and she said but like one of her fears is when she dies, she dies alone and that yeah. house is like filled to the brim with people and so she died with people who who loved her, who yeah. without a doubt Agreed. loved her. Um the some of the most beautiful tender, I mean there's so many in my view beautiful tender scenes. Uh, but you see Aki come home and she gets in bed with grandma and they're like under this down comforter and there's so much tenderness in the way that characters embrace one another. We were talking about ideas of embracing or like um, the, the notions of embracing. And I think this movie captures touch and, and mm-hmm. like intimacy or all sorts of in- aspects of intimacy, but just mm-hmm. so beautifully. And through most of the movie, I'm like with this family mm-hmm. and like the way sometimes the shots, the way the camera is set up, it's almost as if, um, the camera's like in a cupboard, just yes. watching them do their regular evening meals and routines and things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a phrase that I've, I say a lot, but it feels very slice of life. Yeah, yeah. that's the term that right. kept coming to mind as I was watching this. I was like, oh, Christine likes her slice of life movies, <laughs> which, by the way, I loved this movie. So, like, Christine, you, you earned some points back with me. <laughs> Um, my friend who I've watched all of the movies that we've done with, she was like, all right, Christine, all right. Um, yeah, I, I was glad to hear that you all enjoyed this movie because I think this definitely captured for me a balance of like emotional and beautiful, but also extremely complicated. And I still don't know what to think about mm-hmm. Uh, right, because some of the characters like on one side you see the father figure who like is very loving to Shodan and um, is providing for everyone, but then like shoplifting, you're teaching him how to do that, you're helping him do that, you're actually using him as the one to shoplift, and there has to be a reason why not him, like why the father of his figure is not doing it, and why he's making the kid because if the kid was caught. Like, who's really going to punish a kid like that, you know? And so, like, there's that aspect, too. And he has a record already. Right. It honestly reminds me in that sense in a lot of ways. And this is, like, a kind of a contrivance because, like, this is a pretty popular opinion and, like, established kind of note about this movie. But, like, it, it's almost very reminiscent of Oliver Twist. Yeah. 
where like um, you have this figure, uh, Fagin, who is just kind of like orchestrating like a child pickpocket pickpocketing racket. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a good deal more tenderness in this than say Oliver Twist. But you know, similar scenarios but different cultural backdrops and different stories. This also I, yeah. kind of reminded me a lot about what's going on in Philadelphia specifically and a lot of probably every major U.S. city of how yeah. system these systems are failing people. Yeah. Yeah. And in Philadelphia, you know, we have an extreme amount of poverty in this city. And so as I was watching this movie, I was thinking like, wow, this is probably like the daily routine for so many people that live just a few blocks or miles from where I live. Well, and yeah. this is a character who is trying to like you see moments where he's trying to get Shoda to call him father. And Shoda keeps telling him, like, I'll get there, you know, I, I like, it's sort of like, I, I'm not ready to call you father mm-hmm. and things like that. And you can see this is something that really Osamu wants him to do, which has its complexities in its mm-hmm. in and of itself. Yeah. But you can also see a character like Osamu who wants to impart his skills onto somebody he sees as a son. And I think he values that kind of relationship so much. And what he knows is the art of shoplifting and he's very good at it. And so I think deriving that sense of satisfaction, like definitely you can make the argument that he could be exploiting this child for his like also abilities to shoplift. But I also kind of saw in their relationship, like him really feeling like he had helped mentor and nurture this skill within Shoda. And he says, that's yeah. all I can teach him. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it, it would be one duplicitous thing if like, it was like a, a, a scenario where this like child was stolen from like, you know, a very well, well, uh, well adjusted and well balanced environment. But you know, it, it seems as though he's, he's kind of teaching this child a necessary skill that he's found necessary because systems are failing both himself and children like, uh, like him, on the regular basis there. It's, so it's, yeah, he repeats the line, um, whatever's in a store doesn't belong to anyone yet, which, mm. you know, it's one way to look true, at it. But... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think that this goes to the point of like, these things can exist at the same time. Like you can be a loving person and you could be trying to teach them everything that you know. And, and cause you know, I'm a great shoplifter, but then also, still like exploit the child and mm-hmm. i think that that's real even in um like blood related families mm-hmm. too that oh, happens yeah. all the time mm-hmm. so you know i think that this is a family yeah right in its right and it's at one hand moments of tenderness and connection and also moments of like questioning whether the people you look up to as mm-hmm. mentors uh are guiding you always in the ways that are best for you. Yeah. Um, and you definitely see, especially a, an arc with Shoda, uh, who once Yuri is in, brought into the family, um, she starts going, I mean, she, you know, you can start to see this, like her looking up to him as mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a mentor, just like a friend. And she starts following him on his uh, shoplifting uh, rounds and she starts doing, so Shoda has this little hand gesture that he does every time he like grabs something and you start to see her working her way through it. Um, And, but you can also see him watching her try to do it and process, "Mm, should she be doing this? Mm -hmm. What am I doing to, to like, reinforce this in her and is this somebody is this 
what I want to be doing. And he really starts to question mm -hmm. what he is starting to like teach by like association and Yuri to be doing. And it just makes me think about like what moral lines have mm -hmm. our mentors and parent figures set up for us. Yeah. Cause for him, it's, Oh, we're just stealing. Like nobody's going bankrupt. I think Nobuyo tells him, like, oh, like what does your father, you know, say, Osamu say? He's like, oh, well, nobody's going bankrupt. Right. This doesn't belong to anybody. But then, as once they the grandmother dies, and then they keep taking her pension out, I think Osamu, you know, gets he gets really greedy. He starts breaking into cars, stealing coach purses. Right. That's the turning point. That's interesting. I never that's thought about that point. being a turning point as far as different things that he goes after. And yeah. Like, yeah. And Shota said, I got caught on purpose. So, yes, there's yeah. – uh, so once – I think there are two really, uh, in my mind, important scenes as far as Shota's kind of um, reconciling so many different complex things going on and trying to deal and understand them. One is when he goes into his usual shop. There's this one like corner store that you see him take stuff from before. And uh, you see Yuri trying to uh, slip something in. And the, the shop owner basically sees them and, and tells Shoda, don't make your sister do it. So that's the first sort of like explicit mm -hmm. recognition. Like, ooh, someone saw us and they're calling me out. I have the theory that the shopkeeper knew all along. Yes, um, I agree. And that was just one of those tender, amazing souls who just was just like, and oh, he ends up giving both of them two toys. And he's like, here you go. And so it's just one of those beautiful little moments. But then the second scene is after, it's after grandma dies, after Shoda sees uh, Osamu break into the car, steal the purse, he goes into the grocery store and um, then sees Yuri, who's with him, start to loudly put some bag of chips under her shirt or under her dress. Not super stealthy. Not no, super not stealthy at all. At all. There's and he's like, it. <laughs> and so he grabs a bag of oranges and starts running, and then the clerks come after him. They chase him for a long ass time. Those are some committed like, employees. Holy shit. That bag of chips is not leaving that, uh, not leaving the premises. And so speaking of oranges and chips, and um, I think that food plays a really, really pivotal role in this movie. What did you all think of, like, what role the food played aligned with our theme of fam not only family but food, too? Well, I feel like food connects everyone. And we see every character. We're first introduced to every character over a meal. Mm-hmm. And they bond over the meal as well. And I think that a lot of the adult characters were on the fence about Yuri until the moment where she hears the gluten cake. Yes, the gluten cakes. <laughs> yes. And right. as soon as that moment happened, everyone was like, no, she's ours now. She's <laughs> definitely ours. Yeah. And even showed it because then he goes and he steals a whole package of gluten cakes. And there's this, yeah, and like after the first scene also when you see Shoda and Osamu in the grocery store, they've stolen things, but then they go and they get some croquettes on the street. Uh -huh. And they're like, oh, croquettes are the best. You know, it's sort of this like wonderful like celebratory and bonding moment too. Um, yeah. What do you guys? There was also a lot of um, food sharing. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah which is just a huge i mean this is basically a crash course in like japanese food culture <laughs> and like in the home um so many of like big 
big uh, like bowls and pots of like noodles that people take from to their own bowls and eat and Mm -hmm. like the communal slurping so definitely this like huge like communal sense of like we are sharing like we bring all of our resources together yeah to try to survive Mm -hmm. except for aki grandma protects her from the money that she makes as like a physical chat room girl which i thought was like a really interesting like layer to throw in of like it's kind of like a peep show situation yeah yeah and so there, like grandma's like actually protecting her like aki gets to keep all her own money like she does not have to turn it over to like the communal pot or anything and I so know. there's like even complicated family dynamics in this found family like not everyone is like united and right is that because she's like blood related right you know, oh, yeah, yeah, or like she's getting money from her family anyway. Like, where is that? Grandma's got her own scam going on. Yo, All grandma's right, a they, hustler. When they find the big wad of cash that grandma has, um, and that apparently was uh, one of the things that kind of like intri- initially drew um, Corey Ida to um, to working on the project was this uh, kind of systemic problem of. Um, impoverished people in japan like making continuous use of pensions of past and dead relatives because that's like a pretty a relatively like at least enough that you know it inspired a movie relatively like prominent social phenomenon there among its lower and um more impoverished socioeconomic class yeah and 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 it's just i we brought up that idea that like grandma said she didn't want to die alone it's like so it's like this like Money plays a factor, but also just, like, this notion of loneliness bringing people together. I mean, even Aki has a really beautiful arc as well. Like, yeah, she's definitely working at a, you know, peep show. What would you call it, Connor? Like, physical chat room? Physical chat room. It's, but yeah, it's like a, kind of an old school peep show. Moment say, yeah. where, Pretty I mean, grim. like, the guys come in and paid for this. Uh, they have, like, some... Brief connect. They like go into another space where they actually sit. And he's like sitting on her lap and like has her head in her lap. But you, f- then he gets up and they actually have this embrace that like this camera stays on them for a long time. And you really see Aki like holding this person. And you can even see As through those moments. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. And he's the like he wipes the her, mo- his the tears cr- off. Yeah. And so it's like those are beautiful moments outside the home where you mm-hmm. see people um, really connecting. And I think she comes home and she's like, I've met someone. Mm-hmm. Right? And Grandma's like, who is it? I was going to say, yeah, maybe a beautiful moment in a, an unexpected way. In yes. very unexpected. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and there's a funny conversation with her and Grandma of like, yeah, you got to show some side boob, Grandma. And she's like, is that what the kids are into today, oh my basically? God, yes. <laughs> she's like, right. I basically wear it with the side boob. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, thinking also about moments of intimacy, oh my God, the, the sex scene between Osamu and Naboyu is like, I think so beautiful. So they like, you don't quite, I mean, they're like eating a bowl of noodles and Naboyu's just gotten fired from her job, um, because she's basically being blackmailed because her coworker finds out that she has Yuri. Yeah. Also, how um, fucked up is that, that the manager says you two, you two employees need to decide who's coming back to work and who's fired. They call it a work share. Yeah. Yeah. She's <laughs> like so fucked. Um, but like, she's clearly like gone like shopping just to make herself feel better she's like and they're just eating noodles together and it's raining and then you just like "Mm, it's just so beautiful and i saw this written in a review that i was like yeah and they were like this movie treats middle-aged characters 
with a love scene as if they were young hotties, which I was <laughs> like, what a beautiful thing. I think I read that review. Yeah, yeah I think I I don't know, maybe it was like AV Club or something, but I was like, that is such a great point. Like, how often do we really see like really a yeah a love scene that's like and not gratuitous given it just uh, honest i think they i did see a re- review that referred to it as gratuitous i was like oh, in what way have you watched at hbo's all. game of thrones i was like i don't find this at all gratuitous anyhow i think that um they're yeah both mo- new like notions of food and intimacy uh i think that scene was definitely reflective of that Mm. um a small moment of intimacy that i noticed consistently throughout the movie and we had a larger conversation before this about translations and how those might not always be true of what they're actually saying Mm. but every time someone came home it was welcome home and like the whole family said it (laughs) and you know like that's something my family does when when someone gets home it's like hey you're home welcome home and there are hugs but you know that doesn't happen in every family and you know sometimes my roommates will come home and like we don't say a word to each other and it just feels so unnatural we just hiss at each other here (laughs) (laughs) right like there's no acknowledgement of existence like that's just fucking bizarre but like to see that everyone almost stops what they're doing to be like welcome home it's just a small moment of tenderness yeah yeah i i couldn't count the ways uh that the movie really in each scene uh visually shows just connection like interpersonal connection and moments of intimacy and things like that um, especially as the seasons change. I thought this was a great movie that really um, showed the seasons, paired the seasons changing with also how people uh, are close to one another and hmm. um, the relationship between weather and family and closeness and things like that. And there's not much separating this family from the elements. Yeah. No. Like they're not like they're in. You feel like the cold with kind of home. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to kind of clarify some things, we've kind of been touching on kind of what the big reveal is as far as the audience coming to understand what people's connections are within this family. So we talked about that pivotal scene where we come to learn that Shoda Who's about, what, 11 or 12? 10 or 11. 10 or yeah. 11. He, he steals the bag of oranges runs away, ends up jumping off of an of a, like an overpass yeah. and breaking his foot. And he later says that he did that on purpose. And you see this as really a moment of Shoda's ultimate assertion of almost independence or like recognition that he is he has agency and he is like doing things to maybe protect Yuri and also to sh- and I saw it as like show Osamu that like he is thinking on his like and he's doing something fucked thing. up Some and things, things fucked are up. fucked up yeah mm-hmm. and and so he gets hospitalized with a broken ankle or a broken foot yeah there, uh, I, some kind of parallel there to osamu at the beginning of the movie yeah exactly i'm not quite sure exactly what thread's there but there's something same oh. foot same very similar injury uh, one more clarification. Grandma has died. We mentioned Grandma dying. Mm-hmm. She has died uh, after a beautiful trip to the beach, and you see Grandma looking out at the at uh, the five 
splashing in the uh, in the ocean, and you kind of like, all right, Grandma's look at my peace. age spots. She's ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah, going. Yeah. So she dies, but the family realizes they can't. Well, they can't afford a cremation or a burial her for her or anything. So they end up taking up the floorboards and burying her in under the house. Um, which I mean, she you know she was. Yeah. Okay. She's so with her family at this still. point, mm-hmm. at this point, grandma's dead. She's buried under the house and showed oh, us start smelling broken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've watched enough serial killer documentaries to know <laughs> that, that like can end well. John Wayne Gacy's house did not smell good. So the police are involved at this point, And then we start to see different characters being interviewed by the police mm. And this, I think, is what Dave was referring to as sort of the third act that, like, feel... Is this... He, this is what he was talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is kind of a different tone from the rest of the movie, where you start to hear single, like, stories from each of the characters as they're broken up and in put in essentially interrogation rooms and in the hospital. And what are the things that we find or learn? Through these interviews or interrogations. Um, we learned that Shoda was kidnapped. I, th- mm-hmm. I don't think that reveal came before that moment. No. No. That's um, then. And so they break into a car that was at a pachinko casino type of building. So he was just left in a car seat. It sounds like he was like an infant or a very young toddler. Um, so it's that's one thing that's Also revealed. bringing up more complicated questions of like... Child abuse, child neglect. Ab- yeah, yeah. Uh, and was this a kidnap or rescue? A combination of both. Fucked up on all <laughs> fronts. Sure. Well, and that just makes you think about like so they told him that they're not his parents. I'm very curious, like why, if he was that young, to like not, like why wouldn't they want to create this pseudo family? Why keep this distance? I just thought this is an interesting, like why they wanted to keep that distance of like I know you're not my father. I know you're not my mother. Well, you mean like why didn't they tell? Like why did they tell him once they had him that they weren't his I real parents? I assumed he was very young. Like probably in my mind, he was so young that he was still like. Well, maybe they were trying to be was. honest with him. Like maybe this is a case in which their intuition was like, let's let's be honest about the fact mm-hmm. that you aren't like our son, but we found you because he knows he thought he was rescued. Yeah, yeah. In his mind. And so I think that also complicates and is an interesting complication. It's like them trying to be honest with him, but actually not telling him the full truth. (laughs) But like, well, why am I not going to school? Well, you don't need to. Only people who are dumb like go to school. Yeah, what was that line? It was like school is for like people that can't learn at home or something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which that – you see Shoda realize that there are things, as you all mentioned before, that Osamu can't teach him. And right. can't. And he loves reading. He loves swimming, the story. Anyhow, so what are some other things that are revealed once the interviews start happening towards the end of the movie? Something that I felt, I was like, what? I was curious how Osamu and Naboyu and Naboyu knew each other. Like, where did this come from? And to find out that like they killed Naboyu's hus- abusive husband, right? And, and everything goes back to abuse, and you're just like, okay, yes, domestic abuse is never okay, and nope. like someone dies in self defense, like the like what the fuck ever. Um, uh, but 
doesn't necessarily sound like their situation and mm-hmm. but abuse is always their excuse well she was being abused that's why we took her and she Nibuya does have a, oh, get, go oh, ahead. no, no, no you no, go no. ahead i've done i would say and nabuyo has the same kind of burn mark scar that yuri has on her arm yeah uh-huh. from her parents that her dead husband assumed like i assume did to her uh-huh. same exact mm-hmm. marks on the same mm-hmm. exact place so definitely mirroring of like physical Injuries to people. I will say in a bathtub scene, as oh. far as emotion rivals the big fish bathtub scene. Oh, it's so beautiful. I kept thinking it's of the most. I thought vision. of it too. Yeah, I thought of it too. Mm-hmm. Nothing compared to what lies beneath, though. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Speaking of bathtub scenes. Do you like the water? You're going to drown in it. But you know what? For, for me, so part of my job is thinking a lot about how children learn and and like what could possibly impact a way a child learns and we talk a lot about something called adverse childhood experiences and there's something in that line of thinking that um trauma can be like generational and like intergenerational Mm -hmm. and the best way i heard this explained is like unpacking the backpack so every time a child is born they have a backpack and trauma and neglect and everything that they go through that's negative gets put in their backpack and they carry it with them and then that child grows up has a child and then that child is wearing their own backpack and then the parent's backpack and this goes to show you that it's not just like a blood related thing this is like the people who are in your life can impact you in any way even if they're not related to you and I think Shoda at the end by sacrificing himself, he really blow. He knows he's going to blow up his family because mm-hmm. he wants to break the cycle. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what a move of understanding yeah. for a middle schooler. Yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, so slowly we begin to learn exactly what. Uh, I guess some truths about people's pasts and how they reconnect or how they're all uh, kind of find one another and connect. Um, And then, so eventually Naboyu ends up going to prison for the whole circumstance. She Mm -hmm. tells the investigators that it was her idea to keep Yuri and that Osamu, I guess was not, involved as well as the continued pension theft yeah was that why so she i think that's what drew the police so is she not was the charge so the charge is for grandma yeah i think it seems like it's probably several charges yeah which is like (laughs) and this was like because there are some beautiful moments with shoda and osama and like oh he's such a he's such a they have such a fun relationship and so in your, but you're like, oh no, no, no. Their relationship's fucked up. And then there's something really fundamentally fucked up about Osamu and Naboyu's relationship when he tells investigators it was her idea and she tells him when that is absolutely not the truth. So she yeah. takes the whole rap for Did you, did everything you dig the grave happened. yourself? And she's like, Yes. By mm-hmm. myself. Right, right. And that I think also was a moment of recognition that like Osamu has operates in many ways in self-interest mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that the actor's performance was so good because he kept like his performance kept conveying senses of like, um, I, I don't know how, like how 
present he could be and how caring and how fun and he could be, but also switch and be self-serving and uh, very, very... Depends on like situational priority. Exactly. Yeah. I think for him, it's an internal battle of greed versus compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we see him be extremely fatherly to um, Shoda, especially at the end. When they the government put Shoda into an uh-huh. orphanage, um, running. and so he goes and stays with um, uh, Osama when he's not supposed to. Yep. Um, probably Osama could go to Osama go to prison for that. Um, and so they build a snowman. It's very tender. Oh, the snow scene. Yeah. There were questions of whether the snow was real. Huh? Up, it's up in the air. They started filming in December of 2017, so maybe they did all the snow cold stuff. I don't know, maybe. Mm. At this point, Osama's living alone. Shoda comes and visits him, and they, uh, yeah, they like play in the snow, and there's this just beautiful winter scene. And then the next shot, I love the next morning, the snow has melted, and there's this sad, saggy, like snowman. Um, (laughs) Beer caps for eyes. Yeah, and you're like, oh, what a scene to capture. Sort of the, I kept thinking of like the fragility of connection and like Mm -hmm. closeness and having those moments and then also having moments of recognition that like i don't know some things just kind of fall apart as well i think it's also uh for me i saw as a sign of rebirth of that Mm -hmm. shoto is like this was this last dinner with his father figure was that was was it it. Mm -hmm. and i think at the you know I think at the end, this battle with him between self-interest and compassion, he tells Shoda, like, he basically takes him to the bus. Um, I forget exactly who says what, but eventually he's like, you can tell them that, like, I kept you here. Like, yeah. I forced you to stay here. Um, but then as the bus goes away, Shoda does not look at him. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to chase after the bus. I assume to go back oh. to the orphanage. Well, the classic bus chasing scene. Yeah. I'm like, I've seen this so many times, but <laughs> it works for every reason. time now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. And then as he, he takes off his baseball cap when he's probably two or three blocks away from Osama's place and then looks at the window and then mouths the word dad, which yeah. the grandma, there's a few times where mouthing words happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the grandma at the beach says, thank you. Mouths that to mm. the universe, I guess. Oh, when she's watching <laughs> For a the life play lived. in the, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and I think there's, I forget when earlier in the movie. So it's just this theme of just like wordless communication with family too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that bus scene, that depart, and both. That's interesting. Both departures of senses, mm-hmm. like for the grandma departure from this life, <laughs> and for Shoda and Osamu departure from each other. Um, Shoda's definitely like, ha- like read, like he's entered. Yeah, this new chapter in his life um, of possibility and you really see in Shoda a character who is extremely observant insightful he he does his own read it like you can see he is like hungry for knowledge mm-hmm. um, and and then I think there's a recognition from Osamu like you kind of fucked up <laughs> and I mean when he going and back you can't to him get being... this relationship back or what it once was really right and like him as a teacher i think it's just osama as a teacher is an interesting thing because he might be illiterate too when he when the police officer asked him to spell out oh how do you spell his full like shinto's full name he can't spell it it's like oh you know shinti taba i think is like his certain oh like like the baseball player 
um, oh, the the symbol for sheep or the symbol for. And then even when he asks him about like a story, I think the swallow swimmy, the swim yeah. swimmy, swimmy. He's oh, like, oh, well, you know, swimmy. you know, daddy's English isn't very good. Oh well, you know, well, you know, daddy's Japanese also isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And there's a few times where he has to tries to spell out things but can't. So maybe also part of his backpack is whatever abuse he faced, he never yeah. learned how to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and like you know, but it, it's interesting, like because there are moments you see like Shoda will like assert independence and maybe carry some things that like positive things that uh osamu had imparted on him like he does these beautiful magic tricks and like definitely has this like childlike quality that you're like "Mm, you do have this essential gift um but don't always make the right decisions (laughs) um wow i think we have covered a lot. I want to say one thing. <laughs> Definitely go for it. Sam. I would risk it all for Yuri. I really would. There mm. were several mm. times where I was like, "I'm just going to take her myself. I'm going to jump through this TV <laughs> and I'm just going to take her." <laughs> so cute. Well, and so she eventually she gets turned back over to her parents, and then you and then Which you see so it, at the up. end that her mom is also being abused, uh-huh. and then yeah. that abuse being passed on to Yuri too, and then they leave her out on the balcony again, locked out. Oh. What do you guys think about the final scene? What I meant she to ask. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? So final scene, she's out on the cold balcony. You kind of see return to beginning of the movie. And she steps on a little box and she puts her hands up and you just see a shot of her face. Like kind of like a moment of seeing something or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. What do you guys think? And then it cuts and that's the end of the movie. I like to imagine that she sees uh, Shoda. Maybe like Who's somewhere, like coming. somewhere, not even just coming for her, but somewhere in the crowd. Like he's, you know, he's on his journey to of self discovery to find out his roots and everything else. And like, maybe she sees a vestige of a family she once had for this glimmer of a moment. You know, I kind of saw it as her because when you're in the movie, you only see her through like the little um, slits in the like paneling of the balcony. And so I kind of saw that as her looking out to try to better herself in a way or like she's gonna... trying to assert herself of like instead of just being in the corner and you see her trying to play in the house and shows a marble like the marble that um, Shoda had like, oh, you can like, he said, oh, you can see the universe in it is what she says to Shoda when he's like has the marble and a flashlight, which is something we've all done is like shine flashlights through glass objects, uh, glass toys. Yeah. Like marble. Like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? All of us, huh? Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a little left out right now. But... Um. And so I think her mom's like, shoots her down. No, go away. I'm busy. And so I think maybe she's trying to just like poke out into the world to try to like, my family sucks. I'm going to look out for what's next. That's kind of how I saw it. It really made me think about cycles and how often we see that portrayed in this movie as well. So, you know, like everything eventually repeats in one way or another. And so perhaps she's looking for someone else that could save her mm. from this hell. Yeah. And like something that's telling is her fucking family didn't tell child services for two months. How are they not in trouble? Right. Like that's what I shouldn't the child protective services have taken her away from the parents. I don't know what but, the laws are like over there. It's sort of I, that yeah, stuff. I mean, yeah, I, don't I don't know either, but like you didn't tell them that your child was missing for two months. Who were you? Casey Anthony? Like what the fuck? I don't know. Like I, um, a movie that's kind of, 
made me think that I think this is a far superior movie, but some of the same sort of ethics and quandaries, especially about uh, kidnapped children is the movie Gone Baby Gone. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. I thought the ending was kind of interesting as far as still raising some questions about notions of like thinking. I don't know. I, I won't go all the way into that. But, I can kind of see what you mean. Um, it uh, Yeah. As far as ethical quandaries and things like that, and I think we don't get enough information as far as like the like what's good. They're kind of in the new, yeah. Just so many questions I've got. But how did you feel about the ending? I think it was I. I, um, I, th I don't know. I I thought it was a perfect ending, but I kind of hmm. didn't know why. I liked the ambiguity because I felt like there were so many moments of questioning and i think a movie to end that way asserts very in a strong way this is a movie that raises so many questions and doesn't answer a lot of them yeah <laughs> um such as life i would hope <laughs> i i kind of saw it as a maybe she sees a recognizable person like a like shoda or samu or somebody like that or maybe it's it's the notion of like her asserting. I kind of like the idea of her asserting her independence because you see that scene with her mother, where her mother's like, "Come here," and she's like, "No." Or she says she basically doesn't follow. Say you're sorry. Say oh right. Say you're sorry, and then for a five or six year old, like she's you can see that moment of her not following orders and maybe trying to assert some sort of like independence and so i'm ho i'm hoping the best for yuri i really yeah, am yeah. yeah i would love to see a sequel like 15 20 years from now of like this person grown up and what the socioeconomic stat like is what that's like in japan like i would love to see like a take of like what this would be like 20 years from now with her and her experiences and i don't know i just think after as the movie ended i was like oh i would love to fast forward and see yeah. what her life is like well mm. Any final thought, like final thoughts from you all about Shoplifters? Wish I saw it last year. Yeah, me too. Well, it's free on Hulu. Oh, yes, it's on Hulu. Um, so you guys were asking for us to tell you where you can find this movie. Mm -hmm. If you have Hulu subscription, it's on there. Um, and yeah, excited to... Uh, see more there's a movie that was recommended in some of the reviews a previous movie of Corey ada's that's uh like father like son mm -hmm. go figure <laughs> that's supposed to be pretty good so i want to i want to check that out one more thing that i had of note um i always love like listening for soundtracks and music this soundtrack and the music was done by from what I understand, what I've been reading, a pretty beloved kind of like folk musician, Japanese folk musician named Harumi, Harumi Hos Osono. I'm going to fuck that up. Um, somebody referred to him as like making Beach Boys music of Japan. <laughs> I don't know. The point is, is I love <laughs> this. That's a whatever. Uh, the the soundtrack is so beautiful and um, I think matches the, the the scenes so well. And I had been listening after I saw this movie, I've been listening to the soundtrack like on repeat uh, because I loved it so much. Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's what I have. Thank you guys for your wonderful, thoughtful questions and, <laughs> uh, and musings on shoplifters. Um, I just realized that, 
I have no whiteboard questions. Mm-hmm. So in the next two minutes that we take a break, we'll yeah. uh, talk about what we want to talk about. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye. <laughs> See you on the other side. Welcome back. Uh, we had a productive discussion in the moments that we were off the air, uh, and we came up with a uh, whiteboard question, which is, uh, what is a food that you share with your family? Um, so I'm Italian, so basically any and all pasta dishes. Hmm. But also, um, my I love a good London broil. I'm not like a big red meat kind of person. What goes into a London broil? So you have to marinate the meat in like soy sauce and garlic and other stuff for like two Are we talking days. beef? Yeah. yeah. Pork? Okay. We're talking beef. You have to marinate it forever. And you got to get the the rub just right mm. and it cooked all the way through. And then you serve it with, at least in my family, we did green beans for me, sometimes a little stuffing. God, it was great. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. I'm so hungry. <laughs> I know. going to get hungrier. Growing up, we uh, my grandmother lived with us, and so this was a dish that she made when my mom was a kid, and it was basically like a chicken and rice with like shredded mushrooms dish that you just like bake in the oven. But my mom called it horse's ears when she was a kid because ah! the way that the chicken was cut just looked vaguely like horse's ears. <laughs> That's so good. Um, so every month or so, we'd have like horse's ears for dinner, and it was just just nice like big glass pan, like a risotto-y mushroomy ricey chickeny kind of dish so that was always just really cute you know i just remember something else so when i was younger we were like tight on money and so sometimes dinner would just be like crazy shit and my dad makes this thing called muck and like it's insane and i don't even know what goes into it some kind of noodles some kind of meat some kind of sauce i have no idea how he makes it i i really don't but it was probably made with the dregs of whatever was left in our kitchen but it was so good that he kept making it Mm -mm. i want some muck yeah Yeah. it's good bring some muck in yeah 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 well do you think you'd be able to recreate it though yeah or is it your dad's secret i think it's his secret honestly but he can recreate it Dad, I know you listen, so do it. Please. <laughs> that Hunter family recipe. Well, um, we, were in, we were in a very adventurous family. We were either, it was like chicken or pasta, like almost every night. Um, but one thing that did become some sort of like uh, family tradition, I think because of my sister's excitement about it becoming a family tradition, uh, was uh, sat- basically every Saturday was like, well, Nobody has to worry about cooking because we're ordering pizza. Nice. So we would just always get Mm. pizza from one of like three different places that were like 10 minutes away by car. And just like um, it was nice because my mom would be able to wait until the last minute and just be like, oh, we're all hungry now. Yeah, well, I didn't have to do anything. So uh, we'll call them now and we'll we'll get a pie and this will be great. What was your go to pie? A uh, plain. Okay. Yes. <laughs> mm, classic cheese. Again, not a, not the most uh, adventurous family in terms of cuisine, but um but because of um because of family preferences because mostly because uh, my sister um likes her pizza uh a little lighter on the cheese we would normally get either um light on the cheese or extra sauce 
Ooh, yeah. Which um, inundate that cheese is a taste that I've carried with me uh, to this day. I usually, uh, if if I get a pizza, I normally don't ask for the light cheese as she prefers, but I'll definitely go with like extra sauce if I can ask. Oh, I love good extra cheese. Yeah, I don't know. Too much cheese, and it's just like I don't know. The limit doesn't exist. Because <laughs> then you put Parmesan cheese oh, on top of the pizza. Stuffed crust with cheese. Yeah, you really. Oh God, I could. Oh, okay, that's enough. I have a lot of good family memories of like f- some Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night. Like there was a really good Chinese place and a really good pizza place right next to each other, mm. like two or three miles from our house. So I remember so many times just forcing my parents to watch Jurassic Park as we would like have our yeah. weekend like takeout night. Everyone's got their favorite pizza place that they think makes the best pizza. Mm-hmm. Santucci's in Philadelphia. Santucci's is really good. Armand's, R.I.P. Pizza City, Woodbury. Pizza Lovin', mm. back home. Pizza Lovin'. I love I'm you. I'm surprised you didn't say... Um, I don't like Angela's. Angela's, yeah. I don't like it. I, lo- I, I loved like it. it when I know I went you there. like it. <laughs> Do you have a Pizza Perfect? <laughs> no. Not that I know of. It's in Dallas. They oh. put like onions in the sauce. It's pretty good. Well, yeah, mm. other people put onions in the sauce. I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Pizza Lovin does Sicilian. They fry it first. Ooh. Whoa, it's so good. That's mm. a game changer. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a crisp, like a crispy crust. Yes, yes, it is. I die for a crispy crust. God, I'm so hungry. I know, oh, Jesus. Christine, what's your answer? Um, so we were definitely like a like a pasta, like a lot of like penne it's pasta. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what first came to my mind was, and I think this was like my mom trying to create a tradition that like was not. (laughs) So like recently for Thanksgiving meals, we've, she's incorporated corn pudding into the selection. (laughs) And for, I I would say for the past 10 years, it's been this. And we will go through this process of like, I'll like be helping her make things and she'll be like, well, we have to make a corn pudding. And then everyone's like, well, why? Like, nobody <laughs> likes fucking corn pudding. And and so, like, we'll do all the ingredients. Everyone's like, ew, 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 ew. And then we sit down and we all eat it. And we're like, this is so good. But yet the cycle continues the next year. <laughs> like, fucking corn. Nobody wants corn pudding. Like, it's fucking disgusting. The mom knows. And then we all sit down and we Y'all eat it. We're like, wrong. <laughs> so that is a mo- that is a uh, food that we will share and then have amnesia and not realize we like it and then come. That's Thanksgiving in a nutshell. I swear to God, I think it's with uh, canned uh, cranberry too. I love or like the concept. You just like dump it out of the can. You're like mm, texture. I don't know, but then once you eat it, you're like this. Nothing is better. I really like the idea of failed family traditions. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that should be so a, that, a whiteboard question to come. Or if you have a sneak I, preview. I have, a, I have one real quick. My mom tried. I remember this so so vividly. I must have been in sixth grade. Um, she tried to make homemade pizza and was so excited. She bought special plates and it was not good. Oh, and mom. she was so excited to make that a thing. And we just like shot her down because <laughs> it was not good. And we probably looking back. It's I mean, probably I was, pizza's fault. Yeah, I yeah. was 12. 11 or 12 or maybe even younger but i just remember she was trying to make homemade pizza thing like mom let's just order the pizza next time (laughs) sorry mom i know you don't listen but but growth mindset first tries usually always the worst and so only get better yeah now i make homemade pizza and it's delicious Mm. i also make homemade pizza Mm -hmm. do you guys ever make pita pizzas no no pita bread and you just like put some sauce and yeah anyhow sounds good um all this talk of food it's definitely making me hungry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you guys out there listening. Um, 
But uh, I think I can hear the stomachs rumble. As a, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just Sam's. <laughs> um, so we are going to be closing out, uh, but want to uh, see if folks have things to to plug, to shout out, general musings of on life. Well, just our social media. Yes. Add butter with that on Instagram. Add butter with that one on Twitter. Uh, butter with that podcast at gmail.com why is every single one of our stuff different <laughs> diversifying the portfolio <laughs> in the most complicated way possible we can buy out those web domains with a little chris, contribution give me the twitter handle yeah come oh. on chris wherever you I actually are. don't know oh, if dude. his name is chris but like, well give me it <laughs> it's chris evans <laughs> his secret twitter um Shout out to Witchpath Podcast, <laughs> launching soon, uh, depending on when this episode airs. Uh, we had Alyssa on as our first guest for the past two episodes. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of fun. More guests to come in the future. And so, yeah, her and um, Christina Rasso Schneider starting a podcast. She runs a bookstore called Novel Idea. Talk about it quite a bit. It's an awesome place. Um, so, yeah, Witchpath Podcast. Tori, who is away, uh, obviously does... Um does some really great work with uh, Cinema 76, writing articles, which you should absolutely check out. Um, she also has Chill and Kill Horror, a monthly horror screening here in Philadelphia at Gray's Ferry. Um, so that's uh, that's something to keep an eye out for and something that we'll, uh, we'll look forward to hearing about next time. Well, thanks, everyone. Thank you uh, for listening. And we're going to um, sign out, and we'll be back with you next week. That's right. Bye. Bye. Bye, friends. So long.